how to heal from a broken heart, both in the short and long term of someone betraying you, deceiving you, the hopes of who you thought they would one day be, who you thought you could be together, dashed, burnt to ashes. And now you have to reorient your position in life. You thought you were going to give up on love, not today. You thought you were going to give up on yourself, not today. We're going to help you to reorient and refocus on what is most important, which is connecting to that truth that is innately born within you, that you can always return to. The light, the love, the peace, the joy that exists within you. Right? It was there the day before you met that person. It'll be there the day after you met that person. This too shall pass. Whatever you're dealing with right now, if you come into this podcast right now because you are in extreme pain, whether because you broke up yesterday or you broke up a week ago or you just didn't even get closure, and that is what a large part of this podcast is going to focus on, which is how to bring about closure when closure is not offered to you. Whatever the situation was, closure can be found, closure can be created, and that is the path to healing. And with all that being said, this podcast is brought to you by BoldDojo.com, where you can book one-on-one coaching with myself in order to create action plans, overcome limiting beliefs, destroy negative self-perceptions, and egoic attachments. Have a listening ear to the trials of your life, helping you to move forward. You can also sign up for the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip. It's just a quick sip of social dynamics and anything I'm exploring on Fridays. Just go to boldojo.com, sign that up. You can also hit up the free resources of wisdom where I drop my favorite books, movies, quotes, anime, documentaries, music, all of that, all at boldojo.com. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Link is down below in the description. Or you can also donate directly through the website, also linked down in the description. Anything that you guys do donate is always extremely appreciated and just goes back to helping support the show and what I do here. So thank you very much. And if you do get anything from this piece of content, please let me know in a comment down below. I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. And also please drop a thumbs up on the video. It just helps the YouTube algorithm, helps send out the video to more people in the community. And if you find that you resonated, share it with a friend who you think would resonate as well. Let's get into today's show. Now, as for the context and setup of today's session, normally I'd feature one of your stories from Instagram or the email sent in from the website. However, not today, as today's story of heartbreak is going to be my own, the one that I've been processing over the last four weeks. And for those that have been listening to this podcast over the last three or four months or so, you'll be familiar with the girl that I'm referring to, particularly from, I don't remember the number of the episode, but the title of the episode was Animalistic Sex versus Deep Love. It's probably about seven or eight episodes ago now. I will maintain the anonymity. I will not uh, disparage her in any way, shape, or form. While today has really explosive potential for a raw emotional outburst on my part, I feel that I have 100% processed and moved through the pain of the situation. I will start by relaying the events of what actually transpired between both of us as best as I can, as objectively as I possibly can, knowing full well that she'll probably listen to this podcast at some point. Even if she doesn't, I think that's a good rule of thumb for me to have as a podcaster, as a person relaying this information to just act as if she would listen to this so that I can keep myself as true and honest as possible. And then after that, we'll step into the lessons and however this podcast manifests after that, I have no idea. Today is going to be an experiment in truth. And in, in truth, because it's going to be very emotional, but I'll do my best to keep keep the ship going in the direction we wanted to go. Towards light, towards love, towards peace. Let's do it. So let's begin with how the relationship ended and how the pain of the heartbreak transpired which was about a month and a half ago now, after rewind back to the day that I found out my father had passed away. Because on the same night, I was supposed to be making a special birthday dinner for the girl in question. Now, in the Animalistic Sex versus Deep Love podcast, I believe I protected her identity by referring to her as fake name Sarah. So I will continue and maintain the continuity and refer to her as fake name Sarah in this podcast as well. For those that have heard How to Process Your Father's Death podcast, 
you would have known part of this story, but you won't know all of it. So I'm not going to assume that you've heard that podcast. And there's a couple crucial details as to a few words she spoke to me that night when she came over. So I'm going to replay here from the beginning and we'll roll from there as to what happened that night. So sitting there on my bed, getting off a phone call with my brother who had told me that my father had passed away, the tears were streaming. The smile was big, processing the reverence for who my father was, the gratitude for being his son, the gift of life, a celebration. I was faced with a tremendous difficulty, which was after having moved through those emotions, or at least settling the acute short-term shock of it all, what am I supposed to do? I've been preparing this dinner all night, basically. I got up at like 1am doing this slow cook beef cheeks dinner, preparing this this, I go to town when I make when I make a birthday dinner for someone. I go to fucking town. I don't want to speak by skills up too much, but actually, you know, whatever she may say about me now, there's one thing she won't deny: that dinner was ridiculous. That dinner was ridiculous. So I put a lot of effort into it, and but even more than just the effort of what the dinner was, it was that we were supposed to be having what was going to be, you know, a real step in our relationship together which was the first time one of us had the opportunity to show how much we cared for each other on a special day for them you know we had been together for about three months at that point in an open relationship and everything had just been skyrocketing just like a a volcano bubbling waiting to explode holding back the reins if you will on a deep burning of love a deep burning of passion there's so much that was building up in our relationship there are some nuances I might need to talk about later on, but for the most part, you know, I was at that time madly in love with her. And as I would soon find out, apparently she was as well. Well, maybe not, who knows? Because the events that happened after that night certainly questioned that. But nonetheless, I was try to not I will try to not foreshadow too much and try to just stay as objective. I don't want to skip too many stones before they happen. So that gives you a bit of the context of that night, why that was so important because I'm sitting there on the bed saying to myself, what the hell am I supposed to do here? And then I remember a conversation I have with my dad about two to three weeks ago, one of the last ever conversations I had with him, which was in which that he parted a piece of advice to me saying, you know, Adam, do you have a girlfriend? I said, no dad, no girlfriend. And he goes, that's okay, Adam. Wait for the right girl. Wait for the right girl. And dad and I never spoke about relationships ever. Sorry if that train just blew your ears out. It probably did hurt you guys too much, but that train just destroyed my earlobes. Hopefully they're okay. As I was saying there, Dad and I never really spoke about relationships ever in our entire lives. So for him at the end of his life to tell me to wait for the right girl, that's when I knew what to do with Sarah, which was, I'm certainly not going to cancel this dinner. She is the right girl. So she came over, Blew her mind with that dinner. We had a great time. Went for a walk out in the neighborhood on the late night. Returning back to the front porch underneath the light. I told her what had happened to my dad earlier that morning. She held me close. Our hearts never closer. Standing there. No words being said. Breathing into each other. It was a moment of beauty. Upon which I told her. What my dad had told me. That the reason why I didn't want to cancel tonight was because dad said wait for the right girl. And that she was the rightest girl I'd found in a long time.
that's as much as you guys who have listened to the How to Process Your Father's Death podcast know about. What happens from here is completely new and no one else has heard. So after the after that time underneath the porch light, she asked me if I'm okay and you know maybe indicating should I leave, etc. I was saying I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine because we're here together, and I truly was feeling her embrace, feeling the love she connected to me. You know, I didn't, and I remember saying to her, "There's no one else I'd rather be with. You're the person I want to be with now." We go back inside. Candle lit up in my room. Window open, cool breeze coming in. We lay down and I ask her, because this is this is not really related to the night itself. Like this is something that I had been thinking about, wanting to know about for quite some time. We just hadn't really found the moment, which was that she had alluded to some pretty horrific trauma in her past regarding sexual experiences. And I wanted to find out about that. But it was a process for her to be able to trust, to be able to communicate that information because of the demons and pain that are brought up within her but she finally felt comfortable and so as we laid there in my bed for a solid three hours she told me about the horrendous sexual abuse both physically and psychologically she has endured from masculine beings since she was a young teenager i won't go into the details of those here so as not to reveal her identity or in case she just maybe her friends are listening or even family members and it may reveal identity i just Keep things as level as possible here. Just saying that if I'm saying that they're some of the most horrendous treatments of sexual abuse, uh, you guys can allow your minds to wander with that. So we spent a long time there. I'm When I say three hours, it was a solid three hours that we spent that time just laying down in my bed, eye to eye, you know, feeling the raw emotions of all that. And she was coming, she was coming alive with it. She was really starting to let go and trust in me. At the end of this, I don't remember what led to it, but as that candle was flickering, and I largely had just thanked her for being so open with me and letting me in and showing me not just the logical facts of the experiences, but the emotions that came with it, because that's very common amongst victims of sexual abuse. They can retell the events as if forensic scientists but find it very difficult to actually give you a picture or a window of what the emotions were felt within them. She succeeded in both. And she started off a sentence, not knowing how this began, but the sentence began with, there's some things I've been realizing. When you made that tea for me the other morning, you woke me up, even though you pissed me off because you woke me up first thing in the morning, but you made me tea, great Japanese matcha, and you made sure it was the right temperature so that I wouldn't burn my mouth. That's when I realized. When you did this, that's when I realized. When you did this the other day, that's when I realized. She went on to list three, four more small things, just small things that I had done for her over the last couple of weeks or so, and she ended it with, I realized. And that's when she said, finally and that's when I realized that I can say with my full heart that I'm in love with you staring into her eyes hearing her voice feeling the truth 
of the, what she was communicating there. I believed her 100%. And still to this day, regardless of the pain you're about to hear about, the way that she treated me after this, and if she's listening to this, which I almost guaranteed she is, I still believed you in that moment, and I don't think you were lying in that moment. The sincerity in her eyes. It was beautiful. And so I pressed my lips to hers, and we made love. Deep into the night. Holding each other close. Just a little bit of a pre-context, a bit of a window leading to that. It was about four weeks or three to four weeks before that, that I had told her that I loved her, that I was in love with, in love with her. The first girl I had told that I was in love with, first girl I'd ever said that I'm in love with in six or seven years, knowing full well that she wasn't in love with me, but I wouldn't allow those feelings to remain suppressed any longer, despite us being in an open relationship. She was confident enough and empathetic enough at the time on that conversation four weeks ago to be able to tell me that she wasn't quite there yet with those feelings, with telling me that she was in love with me, but she was on that path, in her words. She was on the path to falling in love and she could see herself. She's not, uh, she's not barred from that. And this was that culmination moment in which that we had finally been brought to synchronization. I'm feeling the same towards each other. That in and of itself was a strange thing for me personally because I've only ever been in love with, like truly in love where I've said it and meant that way. Like I'm in love with everyone. I love everyone, but to be in love, I've only been in love with three girls in my life prior to that. So she was the fourth. I'm currently 28, almost 29 years old. So it was a very strange thing when every other girl I'd ever been in love with had said it back to me immediately. And we fell in love in synchronicity at the same time. Whereas with this girl, there was a bit of an off step there. That's how I manifested. So that's pretty beautiful, hey? I'm sure as you guys are listening to that, it's like, how could, how could this, I wonder how this went wrong in such a short period of time if you're saying that was only one and a half months ago. Well, isn't that a good question? Isn't that the best question? What happened after that night is now the, what I would say, tragic yet beautiful story of heartbreak in which that her behavior wildly flipped to the polar end of an ice turtle shell, pulling away from me being the product, the byproduct being her forcing me out of her life. For a girl that was so warm, so hot in her energy towards me, you know, we had to maintain the best of ourselves to not break the principles of an open relationship, yet we still were. You know, our, we were supposed to keep our comms logistical, as I always say. You're supposed to only see each other once a week, but we were typically seeing each other two to three times a week. Trying to, We always wanted to miss each other every single day. You know, I was tr- we were trying our best to not make this exclusive while we were in an open, but true love was being born between us, so it's hard to hold that back. After our, So that's how our behavior normally was leading up until that night when she woke up the next morning and went off to her actual birthday, which was that day, the Saturday is her actual birthday. Some wild events transpired in her own life, which I will not detail out too specifically again for prior, uh, identity 
However, let's just say some shit went down at her birthday dinner with her family, particularly with her family, and how that affected the other friends and the entire environment going on at the dinner itself. But particularly a breakdown in her family relationships, in which that she received a very cold reception from them, and there were maybe seeds of something much darker or much more broken happening between them. And this threw her off tremendously. Now, on, of course, on uh, as I would do for anyone, on their birthday day, even if I saw them all the previous night and the night or and even that morning, I'd still send them a birthday message, particularly the girl that I'm in love with and that the night before just told me that she's in love with me. Of course, I'm going to send her a, a birthday message. So I do. She didn't respond. Uh, she didn't respond, I believe, until at a minimum late the next afternoon. If not, it could have been even a day after that, but I'll, let's just say, just in case I'm wrong and I'm over-exaggerating it, let's just say, to be conservative, that she was, that she didn't respond for you know 24 hours at least, which was a bit strange. A bit strange because, for anyone really, because any of my friends, if you sent them a birthday message, would respond within the same day, let alone someone that you're in love with. So that alluded to me that there may have been something going on in her life because, of course, everything between us was close to perfection. And there was. That's when she informed me that some shit went down with her family, but how much she appreciated that message. After that, it would take her approximately three to four days to get back to my messages. I assumed that this was because she was dealing with the emotions happening within her family, and that because largely I hadn't even had an opportunity to do anything wrong. So I couldn't assume that it was anything on my 50. I'm checking my 50. There's nothing I'd done. And it got to, I would say, about a week and a half after that, to which I had to just say, hey, listen, let's. can I come over? Can we talk about things? So I go over to her place. We sit down and have a near two and a half, three hour conversation of her describing everything to do with what's going on with her family, how she hasn't felt like she's been the same person because there's, and I need to outlay a few pieces here. There's some instability going on at work. There's instability within her family. And then, of course, most importantly, in relation to me, she was feeling unstable about the framework of our relationship being that we're in an open relationship. But now that we've both stated that we love each other, how does this work? So it was a very, very long conversation. And I told her within that conversation for the first time that these feelings are normal in an open relationship if you are feeling unstable about the framework when you have fallen in love because an open relationship can only go two ways. It only ends in two ways, really, which is that either you spend enough time in an open relationship to the point where you find out, okay, we're not really, we're not really made for each other. We're not really going to, or neither of us are really interested in creating something any deeper than just the wild, casual, adventurous fun and the even and not just that, but also within open relationships, the deep exploration that we experience within a single night. We don't need to spend every night with each other. We don't need to spend months, years of our lives together. And so you find that out very quickly through an open relationship. And so the relationship naturally either persists persists that way until it no longer does, aka you find out that you find that love or that type of life you would like to build with someone else, a more exclusive relationship with someone else as you entertain multiple partners. Or you find out that this person actually, through time of connecting, is that person. And I would like to create a new life with this person. 
create something deeper. So if you do find yourself, and as I relate to her in our conversa- that conversation on the couches, that how you're feeling right now is perfectly fine and it's actually expected. What it signifies is that we need to change the relationship, the framework of the relationship, because we're in a different place now than we were three months ago. And so I said to her, rawly, honestly, directly, as congruently and authentically as I possibly could, that she was the first girl that had actually made me want to be monogamous in seven years or so, since my last monogamous girlfriend. Now, for listeners of this podcast, I have said, I have said for this entire podcast that I didn't ever foresee myself getting into another monogamous relationship. Not that I'm against it. Not that I'm against monogamous relationships in general. As my for those that are new to this podcast, I'm just going to restate it right now, which is that my position towards relationships is that you select the framework which is most prime for your learning, the relationship that serves you the lesson you need to learn right now. And for those that have a good understanding of who they are, have a good understanding of their purpose in life and not and are not liable and susceptible to placing another human being as their purpose in life, but they maintain their life hierarchy in placing their purpose first, why they wake up in the morning first, and then every other aspect of life can cascade down from there in the according priority. That person's ready for an exclusive relationship. But someone who's dealing with negative self-perceptions, limiting beliefs, egoic attachments certainly is not. But personally, from my own person, so that's my general stance on relationship frameworks. And then you would then look at that, apply that to your own life and say, okay, what fits me best? Do I need to learn and explore through multiple partners or through just one partner? There's a little crash course. For myself though, throughout this podcast, I've stated repeatedly that what I found out about myself in my last monogamous relationship was that sexual variety is a key thing for me. To be able to explore humanity and explore human beings is a key thing for me. And that's what I've been doing for the last six or seven years. And I genuinely have not met or come across a single girl slash woman that, and what, what do I mean when I say that? What I'm differentiating between there is the levels of psychology, not, not the biology. Don't worry, I'm not dating anyone underage. I'm talking about the psychology, about, you know, you have 18 to 22-year-olds, which are typically in their girl phase, and then you have women, women or women, when I'm talking about psychologically, that are more mature. That's a much larger conversation. But you see what I'm saying. So being with girls, being with women, as I'm sure there are many females listening to this podcast would go, yeah, I've been with a few boys. Been with a few boys, been with a few men. You know what I'm saying? So there's not a single female that I've been with over the last six or seven years that has even made me want to even consider being in a monogamous relationship. Not because I'm so married or attached to, and what I, actually let's remove those two words, married or detached. Let's say not because I'm so dogmatic about having to have sexual variety. I just know that that sits most harmoniously with me. It's just the life that I like to live. But I've always said in all my podcasts at the end of telling you all that, that I'm not ever going to say that I would never get into a monogamous relationship. I will never say that I'm never going into going to go into a monogamous relationship. Just I have not found a person that has been able to inspire that and it seems unlikely. And that has largely and that has held incredibly true for the last seven years until I met this girl. And on these couches, I told her that exact thing, which is that you're the first girl that's made me want to be monogamous. Now, with that said, I'm not about to just throw all my principles away and just become this head over heels puppy dog and just let's just be 100% exclusive right now. 
no, let's let's have a little bit of a if you're open to it, let's have a graduation into it. Let's have a gradual process into it in which that, you know, let's just start seeing each other a little bit more. Let's start talking to each other a little bit more, right? We don't need to start introducing family right now or other social events right now, but let's just, between you and I, let's just start to remove some of the pieces of what an open relationship was. And instead of going from polar, from open to exclusive, let's have a bridge that bridges those two things. This overwhelmed her in a good way, I would say, in a way that she was not expecting. I asked for her feedback and she said, I definitely wasn't expecting that because I even asked her, what is it that you think I'm thinking? And she goes, I think you just want someone that you want to see once a week and because that's largely what I stated before. And said, that's good. Let me rectify that for you. And so I updated her on where I was. And of course, this was a this was good news for her. However, her response back to me was that I'm unsure, as in I don't know what I want right now, whether it's to be exclusive or to continue being open. So she was very uncertain, not only in herself, well, because I cleared everything up before, she was uncertain about me before, but now she's uncertain about herself even more so. That's okay. Take your time, process it all. Uh, she was on her shark week that week, so we couldn't make proper love, but we went up to her bedroom and spent some intimate time together regardless and processed some letters as well, some letters that I read in her. And it was a nice time. I left that to fast forward that. Well, it's, I don't want to fast forward that. That's everything that you need to know, but that's crucial. Because that's the last time I ever saw her. Yes, that was the last time I ever saw her. So that conversation happened on a Monday. And I was supposed to be leaving the state, driving away for my father's funeral that coming Thursday. The funeral was going to be on Friday, get there a day early. That's when things really started to break down. So things were shaky before that, but largely because of what was happening within her work and her family. After our conversation on the couches, I felt pretty good. I felt like... There wasn't anything particularly wrong between us. While there was some time for her to work through her emotions, you know, it was fine. She didn't message me at all leading up to me driving away for the funeral. Didn't want to know about when the funeral was. Didn't want to know when I was leaving. This is pretty shocking. This is very shocking to me that as the days went by that she didn't want to reach out at all. Now, for contrast... All of my closest friends and associates, family, all of that, they all sent me a message saying, hey, Adam, you know, when's the funeral going to be? Drive safely. You know, it's a seven, eight-hour drive to Bendigo, Victoria. And uh, this, uh, anytime someone leaves interstate, you just naturally say drive safely. Safe flight, safe drive, whatever. Not even that from her. While this was very disconcerting for me, psychologically, I couldn't focus on it because I had a eulogy to deliver and a sending off of my father. So I had to focus on that. And that if I didn't have if I didn't have that, I don't know what would have been happening otherwise. I would probably would have been running around tearing my hair out. But because I had a purpose and something to focus on, when it got to Thursday and I realized she just wasn't going to message me, she just wasn't going to say anything or even want to know anything about the funeral process. Now, by the way, just to, I'm, all, I'm going to have to always keep the context here for you guys. This is not an acquaintance. She's not an acquaintance. This is the girl that it was only a week and a half ago told me that she was in love with me and that had been there with me when my father had passed away or that night off. So this wild, wild flipping behavior 
Yeah, when I said before disconcerting, that's a uh, that's extremely conservative. Really, it was deeply troubling. It was deeply troubling internally that someone that you thought that not only you thought and had professed caring very deeply for you is now showing zero care, literally zero, just complete ghost. But alas, as I said, I have something much, much more purposeful to focus on. So I got to stay on that. So I go over for the funeral. On the Friday, when I deliver the eulogy, my first ever one, and for my father, no less, I had my brother record uh, record it and I cut up a certain few sections of it to put on my Instagram. And there was an overwhelming response over there, like over several, over a couple hundred comments of just people outpouring their love and untold direct messages from my audience over there and friends and family and all, all kinds. But, but it got to that night after my dinner with my brother's as I'm sitting back in the Airbnb, that is freezing. It is literally zero degrees. My brother and I, we're on our phones responding to people and it's probably 8.30 p.m. or so and I receive a message from her, from Sarah, saying something to the effect of, well, actually, let me let me read it for you. <clears throat> Throughout this podcast, I will read some things and I will not, and I will attempt my memory to, like when I trust my memory, I'll trust it. But for this one, I don't want to. So here it was, Friday, 3rd of June, 8.17 p.m. She sends me this message saying, Hey, Adam, I just wanted to make sure that you know that I'm here for you. As I know, grieving can be an emotionally challenging time. I'm here if you ever need a friend to talk to, exclamation mark, with an X. My response to her, Hey, Sarah, thank you. Today, I dedicated part of my eulogy to you, and even though I feel like you've been cold and distant, what I spoke about was true at the time it happened, so I didn't want to eliminate it from my speech. If you'd like to see it, I posted it on my Instagram tonight. Take care, X. So when I received that message, it was a bit of a slap in the face from her particularly with that opening line saying, I just want you to know that I'm always here for you. Yet, clearly, she was not. She wasn't there for me in the days leading up. She didn't even want to check in to know when the funeral was. The only way she knew about the funeral was that because I had posted a video about it on Instagram. So that involved a ride there was just, it, that hurt. That stung quite a bit. But because I had good support with my brother next to me, I had an overwhelming support from everyone else in my uh, sphere it didn't it didn't stay with me for too long but when i read it i remember when i first read it yeah it stung saying what do you mean you here for me you certainly weren't the follow-on part of the message saying i'm always here if you need a friend to talk to that part was a bit of a joke to me i remember laugh literally i don't i don't mean that i don't say that with toxin i say that with like it was literally funny as to how how inaccurate that was as to where we last left off, which was, well, yes, of course we are, we are on friendly terms. You were the girl that told me that you were in love with me and you knew that I was in love with you. So where, 
you're a lot more to me than a friend. And I thought I was a lot more to you than a friend. So that part, while you think that part might might slap the most or sting the most, not really. That part just was a little bit comical. It was like, it seemed like a bit of a joke. I know she didn't mean it as a joke, but it just came off that way. It's like, that's just, it's so far off is what I'm trying to say. It's just so far off as to where we were in our relationship. It's like, I don't know what's happening within your mind to have slipped so far in such a short period of time. And so when you heard my response to her, I had the option to pass it off and just just say thank you and just act as if nothing was wrong. I act as if uh, it was all good. But as you guys know, my principles, direct, congruent, authentic, but always with empathy. So I directly told her that even though I feel you've been cold and distant, you know, I thank you for it, but I know I feel like you've been cold and distant. And that it was true that in my eulogy, and you can go witness it on Instagram, I told the story of what my dad told me about waiting for the right girl and how I told her that night. So it was all true, everything I said in that message. It was me being as politically correct as possible while also being direct. Like even though I was feeling like I was feeling some sting, I didn't want to push that towards her. So I left it very mature and very respectful. So after that, moving forward. Oh, by the way, um, you guys might be thinking, any response to that? No. No response to that. So, what would you ex- what would you expect? You would expect someone to say, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you feel like I've been cold and distant. I certainly didn't mean to come off that way. Can we work this out? You know, can we have a conversation? I, th- I think I'm a bit confused about this, or maybe you're you could be a little, maybe we're both a little bit confused. Uh, can we work this out? Can we meet up another time? Can I call you a little bit later?" No, nothing. Just not even that at all. Just zero. Again, from someone that said that they were in love with you, that cared deeply for you, that over the last three months have been sending you letters and telling you how much they were, how much you were the light in their life. You know, I'm not going to, maybe it, it will make me too emotional at this stage in the podcast. I'm trying to stay as cold, not cold. I'm trying to stay as neutral as possible. But if I was to get out some of the letters and just read a couple parts about what she, the things that she had said to me, it would blow your mind. It would it would help you to it would help to blow your mind as to how polar her behavior is now for no apparent reason. When I say that, what the things that she used to say or the way that she felt about me was that I set her soul on fire. Those were her direct words. So, yeah, no response to that message. Okay. I believe another week or a half, week and a half goes by. Maybe, no, seven days, I believe. Seven days goes by with zero comms. She just did not respond to any anything. Well, just didn't respond to that message. just left it on silence. At a certain point, I couldn't take it anymore. And... Of course, while all this is happening, I'm also processing the, the death of my father and going through the funeral of my first parent. Yet, the emotional pain that I'm going through and the heartbreak that is now in full force. I can, I, let me be 100% honest with you guys. At that point, when she didn't respond to that funeral, the, the, the messages of the funeral night, that's when I started to realize that, okay, something is tremendously wrong here and I've done absolutely nothing. Like I've literally done nothing. The last thing I thought things were good and now everything's broken. How did this happen? 
So the question marks start to come in. It's like, what's happening in her life? Because as I've always taught all of you who've listened to this podcast for years, which is that we always check our 50 first. We always go into our 50 and we look at our social dynamic performance and say, where could I have made mistakes that would lead someone to act like this? With a fine tooth comb, well, not even a fine tooth comb. I, of course, use a fine tooth comb, but you wouldn't even need one because literally the last time I communicated with her was to go out of my way to sit down for a three, four hour conversation with her to help to listen to not only the pain of what she's been going through, but to offer her clarity on where we can move forward as a couple together. And it was actually a great time while she was quite emotionally distressed because of other events going in her life. Between her and I, it was good. From that moment on, everything just broke down and there was nothing I could see within my 50 that would cause that at all. Why? Because nothing had been done. Not, I had not said anything or done anything apart from go away from my father's funeral. So yes, mass confusion starts to, well, has the potential to set in. However, I remain focused and centered on what my purpose in life is. I remain focused on honoring who my dad was. And so after the funeral, the day after I go to clean up my dad's house and I have spent time with family, drive back states with my brother, Seven, another four or five days goes by, it gets to what it might have been a Wednesday or a Thursday night, whatever it is, seven days later. And eventually I just, get, I just say I've had enough because there is no closure at this point. If she's not going to message me at this point, then it seems that she's never going to message me. And at this point, I'm genuinely concerned for her safety. I'm genuinely concerned for her mental well-being because this is just the saying of a shell of a person does not even begin to describe this when you had a girl that the first girl you've fallen in love with in seven years a girl that actually showed you that maybe you would want to create a life just with her the girl that sees you more than anyone else has ever seen you is now shut you out of her life frozen you out for no reason i can say that with a hundred percent cement no reason as to your behavior as to there's nothing i've done here there couldn't possibly be if anything you think it would be the complete reverse that she would be going out of her way to try and be close to me because of what's happening with my father and what's happening within that life and how everyone else around me seems to be trying to cushion the blow trying to be there for me trying to support me emotionally but she's doing the literal opposite she's trying to pull away she is pulling away as hard as she can amazing amazing not in a uh, positive way amazing in such a dark and negative way amazing so i get to the point where i'm very concerned about her literally mental health her physical health I'm sitting out there on the drive uh, on the street at 6.30 p.m. or so and I can get the message for you here. By the way, we communicate through Signal, the non-traced, non-police trackable communication app. Uh, however, with Signal, when you go to call someone, it doesn't necessarily make a ringtone and actually a lot of times it just fails. I know that Signal's really bad of actual calls. So I decided to give her a call through regular, just the regular phone service. 
using your regular phone when you would call someone, not Signal. Because that will definitely, there's no chance then. There's no chance of something fucking up with that. So I gave her a call. She didn't pick up. It was like 6.30 p.m. That's okay. She might be having dinner or busy with friends or doing something else. So, of course, about a couple of hours later, I leave her a message, a text saying, hey, I just called to make sure that you're okay. Give me a call back when you can. Would love to hear from you. Adam X. No response. And that's that was the, I guess you could say, the, metaf- the metaphorical nail in the coffin. When she chose not to respond, not only not return the phone call, but not return the text when someone is asking to just know that you're okay. Just know that you are alive, that you're not in extreme distress. And not just like a friend either, by the way. have to reiterate, the girl that I was in love with. Now, at this stage, it's a, it's a profit question. Are you still in love with her? Is this rectifiable? Is this repairable at this point? Yeah, I believe at that point it was because that was my last. Well, you know, not the last. It's the second to last effort. But at that point, I 100% confirm for you that if she had turned around and said, listen, man, I'm, I'm really sorry about the way I've been behaving. Can we talk about things? And she just works through everything with me and makes a commitment to wanting to not only make reparations and reconcile for what's happened, but to show me that this was just a blip. This was just a a weird coincidence of instability with family and the shit going on there and instability with work and and maybe some fears about what was going to happen with me, particularly she's had sexual trauma in the past and trust issues with guys. So maybe she might be seeing some of that. Not that I've shown, not that I'm the type of guy to abuse anyone, but but that she may be just fearful. And you know, you guys see this. It's something I've largely talked about in a psychological complex of someone who's had a history of poor relationships in which that when they are shown something good, when they are shown something wholesome and pure, that a guy that would treat her right, that that can actually deter many women, that can push them away. They don't believe it could be true. They don't believe that they could be worthy of it. I don't know which one it is for her. I don't know what it is for her. All I know is that she is pulling away. So, so I will confirm that I was 100% as painful as it was that she had been treating me. I was still in love with her. And I, and I will always love her. As I can say that concretely about every girl that I've ever loved and have been in love with. You know, you cannot throw that term around lightly. And I do not throw that term around lightly. If I'm telling you that I have not said to a single woman that I am in love with you over seven years, and I have been in many, many relationships over the last seven years, all open, of course, but not being brought to the point of finding a girl that was worth saying that to, then I'm not going to say it. Only four women in my life have heard that that conglomeration of words, that sequence of words. That's how important the energy underneath them is. So, yeah, that's not something that's going to die very easily. That's something that's worth fighting for. That's something that I would go to extreme lengths to try and understand someone else's position in life as to why they would treat me so poorly, inflict so much pain. And still, even at that point, I'm still willing to hear her out. So she doesn't respond to that message or that phone call. How many days goes by? Three days later. Here's the actual, I said the metaphorical nail in the coffin or the last effort. This was the literal last effort. This is the last communication we ever had and where the heartbreak process had to really 
amp up. So just to center things on dealing with the heartbreak or what the emotions I am feeling, I need to add this in. At this stage, it is taking everything of me to stay focused in my day. It is requiring the absolute best of me to not become this puddle of shit. To to not become, not that there's a part of me that would just like lay in bed eating Doritos and watching movies all day and eating ice cream. Not that that's, that's not me. Me, it's about staying focused. It's about where does your mind go? In between working with clients, in between writing articles, in between uh, training and moving my body, in between my morning routines and whatnot, where does my mind go? Is it focused on the military operation of the contingencies of why she's done what she's done because her behavior is just so plexing, perplexing. It's so incomprehensible as to how you could, there's no rationalization. There's no uh, justification for this behavior. Not, I can't, you can't find any of that. So to stop your mind from going to all of that takes all of you because of your emotional connection to this person. And largely because you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. You're trying to give them, well, what if, what if this happened or what if X happened? So, so that's the emotions of a ride there, at least a window into it. It's very painful. It is extremely painful to me at that time, not knowing where we are in our relationship. And if you had heard the How to Process Your Father's Death podcast, that was going on during this. I recorded that episode during this whole saga. And I said in that podcast that, you know, I don't know if we're together because she just won't message me. She just, she just won't communicate. And I've done literally nothing. I've literally done nothing wrong here. Like there's, it's not even, it's a non-starter. It's just, it has to be something tremendous going on within her that I have no clue of. So after offering her all these opportunities, offering her this opportunity, this opportunity particularly to, well, this is the second. If you if you consider the first message on the funeral night saying, you know, giving her opportunity to say, hey, let's let's talk about things or I'm sorry about this confusion. No, nah, that was an ex. Come back a week later. Doesn't return the phone call. Doesn't return the text message. And so three days later, I have to send the actual nail in the coffin or the ultimatum, so to speak, which is a voice message because that's the best I can do. She's not going to pick up the phone. So, but she needs to, she can't just read this. This has to be heard with actual tonality and pacing and silence. So on a Sunday morning, I wake up at like 5.30 a.m. And I say, I'm going to send this voice message. And I just, for half an hour, just drill it. Just re- repeat it several times over to try and work out what I need to say. And then I hit record. I have that message, of course, that you guys could hear right now. But I feel that it's not necessary. One, because it's 16 minutes long. And while I'm sure you would all find it fascinating, I can largely summarize it and re- reflect to you the main points of it. I don't understand what's happened. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't understand why you're treating me this way, despite the pain that you've inflicted on me across the last four to five weeks or however long it's been. Right, not even that long, two and, two and a half to three weeks. I still love you. I still want the best for you. I just want to know that you're okay. I don't even know that. I mean, I know that you're not okay. I remember saying that directly. I said, it's clearly you're not okay. But I'm talking about your actual well-being, like physically, mentally, as a human. But despite all this, if you said that today, as a result of hearing this voice message, that you were willing to come and talk things out, 
I'll come meet you in a heartbeat. I will never close the door on you. I will never close the door on you. And it's fucked up how much I still love you. Despite all the pain you put me through. So the ball's in your court. I'm not going to beg you. This will be the last message I ever send you if you don't respond to this. And I want I want you to know that I'm sending you and I'm going to maintain my integrity by sending you all the love, peace and joy and the light, the love and the light, regardless of how this goes, whether you want to speak to me again or not. That's the summary of the 16-minute message. And of course, within that, I outlaid all of what I've outlaid in this podcast, which is all the events as to every stage, as to what she did or most, most importantly didn't do and how that affected me. The pain it put me through, how my friends and family could see that it was destroying me, how this emotional pain I was feeling and how actually the emotions and the pain I was going through since my father passed had nothing to do with him. That was a very harmonious process. It was simultaneously the pains of being heartbroken and having your heart torn to pieces by a woman that you loved and that told that, told you that she loved you. That was the pain that I was feeling. And I, of course, let her know that. So it was a very brutal message. It was a it was a blade, it was it was a blade sharper than you can imagine, yet there was so much love within it. I infused as much love as I possibly could into it to give her that door, to give her that window to come back and talk things out, just to get things back into good blood. No response. Well, basically. I sent that at 6 a.m. on Sunday. I believe it was 12 hours or so later, 6 p.m. that night. She reacted to it. So you guys know on social media apps, when you if you don't want to like actually type something, you can hold your finger down on their message and it gives you a list of emojis, you know, laugh, smile, cry, angry, etc. And you can react to it. You can react to a message with an emoji. The first emoji that she had reacted with was a laughing face. Like, you know, the the two, the tear coming out of each eyelid and the laugh. So it's like the laugh out loud type emoji. When I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. So she's reacted very poorly here. She obviously thinks this 16-minute pouring out of someone's heart is just a joke. That that was shocking. I'm not it's yeah, it stung, but it shocked me that this I was so wrong. Like I was so wrong about who this person was that she would just wouldn't even have the respect to respond properly to that voice message, most importantly because it ended with an invitation to come and actually be a adult human being about it and just be a mature human being about it and sit down and just talk about it. But not even that, but to respond to it with a laughing emoji. So that's what I saw on my phone, you know, in your notification bar. It shows... Sarah reacted with this emoji. And then so I, of course, tapped in and I tapped on that to actually go into the conversation to look at it. And then the emoji had changed to a golden love heart. I don't know if it was a slip of the finger. I don't know if she had just went to react and she had just accidentally chosen the wrong emoji and then realized she fucked up and then just put some, then put the love heart on it, the golden love heart. I don't know if she she did actually genuinely react very poorly and 
then just but then realized maybe a minute or two later uh, maybe that's a pretty shit move pretty dick move so maybe i'll just cover it cover up how i'm actually feeling and just put a golden love heart on it anyway i don't know i don't know if it was a genuine mistake or if it was just her just trying to save face i don't know whatever i don't make too much of it because at the end of the day she had grabbed the hammer and delivered the final blow to the nail which is that she wasn't even willing to respond to a 16 minute outpouring of someone's heart so when that message came in or when that happened that's when i had finally come to peace with this is 100 percent done this is over now She's never going to message me. She's never going to see me again. And while listening back to this now, and I'm sure when I listen back to this, and I'm sure for all of you listening, you'll probably go and you'll probably say, which is what my friends and family said to me, which by the way, is something I said in that voice message, which was, I've been having to consult my own friends and family about this situation because I have to, I will go insane if I don't. It will literally drive me insane because of how... See how I'm even at a loss for words to describe how confusing her behavior has been. So I have to talk to my closest best friend and my, my mom and my brother about this because I just want to know that I'm not going insane. Like, how do I know I'm not going insane during all this? Like, and so this is the genuine desire within me to know that I'm not fucking up. And then when my friends and family tell me that, Adam, she clearly doesn't care for you the way that you care for her. So why do you care so much? Now, they wouldn't, they never put it in such a rhythmic and sharp way like that. But that's the summation of what they would say, which is that, which is why I brought up this point, which is looking back on all of this now. So, Adam, why would you want to be with someone who treats you this way? Like, where do you expect this going? Where do you think this is going? And objectively, I agree with all of you. If this was a story sent into me by one of you, which I've done over the last seven years, broken down some of the most crazy, insane, terrible stories of human interaction between other human beings, the way people have been treated, this is an all-timer. If this story got sent into me, I would, ha- I would literally pick up the phone and call the person. I would call that person who sent in this story just to get them to outlay it by voice to confirm the details before I made a podcast about it. It's just that outrageous for this one reason, which is that you ask the question, why would you even want to continue seeing this girl? Why would you even want someone like this in your life? if they're going to treat you so poorly at the most important time of your life in which that a most monumental time of your life in which that a parent has passed away and they treat you like you are nothing, literally. In, and I don't mean that in terms of value. I'm talking about in terms of existence. They treat you like you're nothing. You don't exist to them anymore. Is that someone you want in your life? And I can objectively respond to that going, No, of course not. And I wouldn't recommend anyone has anyone like that in their life. However, that's really easy to say when you're not in love with that person. It's really easy to say that you don't want them to have a door back or a window back when you're not in love with them. 
But when you are in love with them, something had to lead to that love. Something had to lead to you falling to them in love with them. Which was the three months prior of our relationship of what had been one of the greatest, up until that point, one of the greatest relationships of my entire life. The three months we had spent together, I still hold and cherish to this day. The first kiss we ever had, the first time we ever made love together, the first time we were in the car and made a, a stupid joke at a guy dr- riding too slow on a bicycle. The small shit, the stupid shit, all the shit. It was just an amazing expression of life itself, which of course is what led to us falling in love with each other. Well, and this is that question mark, but was she ever in love with you? If it was literally the day after her telling you that she was in love with you, that this behavior began, was she ever in love with you? I still choose to believe to this day, as wrong as I may be, and I feel like I am an above level above average level detector of truth when it comes to human behavior because this is my job. This is what I do, interacting with human beings. When I get in person with someone, I know when someone's lying. I think I'm even better than most people at detecting when someone's lying. I know when someone, I know to the nth degree to what level someone means of what in terms of their subcommunicated behavior. Tonality, eye contact, pause, silence, energy, right? body language, twitch, whatever it may be, right? Whatever mechanism it may be coming from. Why? Because I've just spent my last seven years breaking down social interactions and human interactions, not only within my own life, but most importantly, within other people's lives, in person, literally in person. So when I tell you that we were there on that night and when she told me she was in love with me, that I 100% confirmed she was true about that, I hold that to this day. It's just... This was just one of those, I believe at the end of it, a transpiration of wild events in her life that I have no concept of. And if you can combine those events with her past history, her history, her history of trauma, her history of relationships with other people, and maybe what that's installed as beliefs as to, this is something that my friends and family kept saying to me. It's like, Adam... You want nothing but to treat her right. You want nothing but to give her the best and do the best for her. And there was a letter I sent to her. It was a letter that I'd sent to her uh, probably about two or three weeks ago that she read on her birthday as well. Oh, no, it was like a few weeks before that, which was me saying to her that I want to be the best guy you've ever been with. I want, I want you to feel understood. I want you to feel seen. I want you to feel that when I look you in the eyes, like I see you. And that if we weren't meant to be together in this life, then I'll surely find you in the next. And in that, we will fly together. My friends and family would say, you did your very best to try and treat her the best. And that, in my heart, is all that I ever wanted. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm never married, married to the idea of owning someone. I don't want to own a human being. I want to give a human being the best experience. And if they choose to stay, then so be it. If they choose to run away, then so be it as well. But that just shows you the depth of which the willing of, willingness of care for her that I had. And that may be someone on this point, getting back to it, if they have been conditioned throughout life and install beliefs in life that they are unworthy of such love, unworthy of such care, would reject it. 
This is such an extremely common behavior that if you go back to my, one of the most popular videos on this channel called Girls with Daddy Issues Explained, part one, three parts, but part one particularly, you can just go through the comments and you can look at girls that agree with what was espoused in that video saying that, yeah, I'm a nice turtle shell. I made a good guy and I push him away. So if you're looking at the psychology and a breakdown of this, I feel like psychologically there may be quite a heavy element of that in there in terms of her own belief system, her own value system of a guy wanting to treat her well, not wanting to entertain that herself, but also a trans- also in combination with that, a transpiration of events unrelated to me that combined created this monster, absolute monster of an experience. Not that I believe she is a monster, but I believe the experience she dealt out was, I think it's fair to say monstrous. I've been as, I'm quite surprised at how objective and emotionless I have been throughout this session so far. I haven't even come close to crying. I haven't even come close to getting into a, an emotional breakdown here. You know, this is, this is, it's almost as if I'm talking about someone else's story. I think that's how you know that I've dealt with the heartbreak. Because if I had tried to record this podcast a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago, hey, I probably would have been crying by now. I probably would have been all over the shop. So that's how I know. So let's keep moving through the timeline here. I gave her, you might be thinking, well, did, did you call it then and there when she didn't, when she sent that laugh emoji slash heart to your voice message, did you call it then and there? It's like, is that's what you would like to say. That's what I would like to say to myself. But in all fairness, if we're being true to each other, between you and me, I gave her a week after that. I said, give her seven days. Give her till next Sunday. And if she doesn't respond properly until next Sunday, that's when you can completely allow this ship to sail. So during those seven days, that's pretty torturous. I'm not going to lie. To hold hope. And I remember saying that to her in that voice message. Hope hurts. Because I had always maintained the hope that she would come around and that she would come good throughout the whole last month or so. Holding hope very much hurts. So I, but I'd already endured so, endured so much pain and so much hurt up until that point. What's another seven days? Yeah for the chance, and this is what I'm talking about, what you'll do for someone that you're in love with, when it's true, you'll endure just a little more pain. So yeah, it's taken the best of me to stay focused on my path in life. During these times, one thing that my mom said to me that stays with me to this day, and has actually become a new mantra for me, or a new principle to live by, which is, I remember she just said to me, asking me like, how, how are things going with Sarah? We're in the room together and I said she still hasn't responded and she goes, or she just, she just brought me in for a hug and she said to me, stay focused. My dad had told me never give up and mum said, stay focused. And now those two things married together is a phrase that I say to myself throughout the day, which is dad said, never give up. Mum said, stay focused. And just hearing my mum say that to me was powerful, which is that as you're holding out this hope, or which is very unlikely at this point, but you know, stay focused. It's okay to, to have hope here, but stay focused. What's your purpose in life? Okay, got my clients to work with, got beings to guide, got journeys of self-cultivation to guide. 
I've got love, peace, and joy to give out to the world. Stay focused. Fucking hard though. Not going to lie. Very hard. Very difficult. But having that guide, having that framework is tremendous. Stay focused. Your path in life. Gets to the next Sunday. No response. Nails in the coffin. Buried in the ground. Ship gets sent off. It's done. There's the entire story of the events themselves. Now, I want to move on to this. That's Even though we've been here for quite some time, that's really the first part of this podcast. Now, the second part of this podcast is going to be the measures I took to help me move through the pain. And now, this maybe is where things may get a little bit more emotional. I'm very surprised I didn't get more emotional in the first part. I just want to say here that I need to describe the heartbreak. I need to describe what that feels like just a little bit because it almost seems a little too surgical what I just went through. But that's just because this is my job. Like This is literally what I do, which is to go through some of the most horrific, egregious stories and go through them with fine tooth comb and to not be subject, not to, to be overly emotional about it all. So let me just say here, because this will be a good transition. This will be a good bridge into the mechanisms to deal with the pain itself. But I'm, let me just talk about that pain. If you've listened to this podcast for quite some time, I've only ever been heartbroken once before in my life. 13 years old. First ever uh, sexual relationship. I forgot what it felt like. I, I hadn't, I just, it had left the realm of my experience as a human being to when people say heartbreak, it feels like there's a inflamed sack around your heart as if your heart has been divided into sacks like almost like an onion with cords but more like sacks you know you imagine like a muscle belly that has the fascia around it and for those that are not anatomy nerds you know when you get like a chicken thigh or a chicken breast and it has that 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 translucent sack around it that oftentimes you'll cut off if you want to cut off it if you want to cut it off if the butcher hasn't already done it for you that is the fascia that holds the muscle belly together, you know, keeps it in place, so to speak. And it feels like the fascia of the heart. It's almost like the, the very biological or medical definition. It almost feels like like myocarditis in a way or pericarditis in a way in which that you have an inflamed heart, like literally that the actual tissue feels sore, that there's this cloud of pain. It's like the best way of describing it is that it just feels like the heart itself the tissue is sore and that there's this just, if it's not the liquid, the blood that surrounds it, but there's like an air, a cloud of pain. It's just soreness around it. And that every time you take a breath, you know, because obviously when you, you breathe, the heart expands and you breathe out and the heart contracts and you've got this con- contraction and expanding. It's like you're just constantly feeling this expansion and contraction of pain within your heart. It's like, this is... From a scientific, explorative mindset, it's fascinating. It was evolutionary to feel this level of pain. Now, that is a great bridge. We will discuss where that pain's come from. Or should we do that now? Okay, let's do that now because since we're here, we'll get to the mechanisms to deal with in a sec. Where I believe this pain comes from, I never take an egoic concept towards human beings and our relationships. We are each here to serve lessons for each other in the time that we are presented. When I step into your life, I step into your life for a, la- for a reason. 
misevered again. When I step into your life, I step into your life for a reason, which is a lesson to serve. And vice versa, when you come into my life, whether it be a sexual partner, a old acquaintance, an old friend where things broke down with, or a colleague or someone you met at work and now you guys are going to hang out all the time, whatever it may be, whoever it may be, we come into each other's lives with lessons to serve, which means that there is inevitably going to be a point in time in which that we are either no longer present to serve those lessons or we no longer hold the lessons to serve, in which that we no longer need to be in a relationship together whatever respect of whatever arena that may be, sexually, non-sexually. <clears throat> I said this to the girl that I was with, and this is my principles towards human beings in life, which is that I'm never going to become egoically attached to another human being. So where does the pain come from? Because most of the pain, as I've described in all of my podcasts, and particularly the podcast series on how to deal with breakups, I discuss the pain of attachment, the deep-seated pain of attachment in which that you have tied your sense of identity to another person. You have, in effect, taken a sharp blade and slit a long, long line through your forearm and attached a stitch to her and you. You both made the commitment to make the same cut and to use the same thread to stitch each other together. And inevitably, when doing that, you will experience tremendous pain when you have to remove those stitches that connected you a lot of the times though what makes that so painful is that it wasn't because you surgically and with anesthesia removed that stitching but it got ripped away from you that person that person fell to cancer heart disease car crash It was not within your control and so abruptly your attachment to that human being was removed and you have experienced even more wildly incredible pain because of the just brutal nature in which that attachment was ripped. That's very common. However, in my situation, not the case. Even up until, even into the height of our romance and love together, when she was laying in the bed telling me that she loved me and she was in love with me, even the next day, even the next day, I was still checking myself going, yeah, but she's not yours. You may love her. She may love you. But she's not yours. She never will be mine. The emotions that she gave me never will be mine. The experiences we had together never will be mine. So if you can hold that, where does the pain come from? For me personally, the pain comes from the polarity of behavior. How someone can go from and how you can spend three months of your life with someone in which that they show you nothing but love. They show you nothing but light. They show you nothing but just this, as I refer to her all the time, is just this kitten-like energy. It's just this kitten that just always wants to be with you, always wants to be around you in a non-needy way, in a way that's just so, it's so pure. It's just a purity of human experience. And it's just a roller coaster. It just, it just doesn't seem to have a decline. It just keeps going on the incline. And for it to go from that to literally at the peak of that roller coaster in which that the person tells you that they're in love with you, 
and then the decline begins. And it's not a short decline. Sorry, it's not a long decline. It's not a drawn-out decline. It doesn't happen over months or years. It happens within the space of a, initially a couple days, but then really, if you look at the totality of it, the decline happened over a space of two weeks. Yeah, like the, 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 the majority of the brutality of that happened within that decline, the freezing out happened over about a two-week span. Two weeks of some of the most brutal, ghosting, ice-like behavior, turtle shell behavior, versus and compared to three months of the most wild fire, the most wild flame of burning care and passion for another human being. That right there, if you can hold those two pieces, was the cause of my heartbreak, was the cause of the pain that I felt. Because you have to imagine all of the concept and belief you have about that person, let alone who you believe you will be in relation to that person as to how you two move together. But most importantly, who you think that person is and for your concept of who that person is to be challenged so rudely, so intensely. It's very easy for seeds of doubt to be sown. I'm too strong for that though. I didn't. I never allowed that to come into my mind because I'm always, it's probably just because of the nature of what I do. That's, I'm always checking myself. I'm always checking my behavior. I'm always, every, every day, every night, always thinking about, did I treat her the best I could? Did I do the best I could? My 50, my 50. Always do the best. Always present the best 50 that I possibly can. It's just hardcore principles. But even so, just the raw nature of someone you believe to be one of the best human beings you've ever met in your life then goes to the worst human being you've ever met in your life in terms of the behavior that they're displaying. That I, 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 don't, I don't know how you couldn't. I think it would be an unhealthy response. It would be an unadjusted response to not feel heartbreak in that sense, to not feel that intense pain. And this is where I want to dive a little deeper into that pain. Pain doesn't have to come with attachment. While most of the time it does. Sorrow, sadness. These are emotions that are innately hardwired into us as human beings. They serve a purpose. They teach us reverence for what this person was, who they were. In events of death, in events of betrayal and deception, teaches us when we feel sadness and we feel sorrow to hold the gravity of the event at time. Did that person deceive us? Did that person betray us? Did that person have our care as their top priority, saving their purpose, of course, which is always be the ultimate priority? But just below that, was your care of the utmost concern for that person. If you feel sadness and sorrow as a result of finding out that this was not the case, that's a well-adjusted response. If you feel pain because someone told you that they loved you and then proved out every day after that that they clearly didn't, it's a well-adjusted response. It would only be lying to yourself. It would only be a deception of yourself 
to think otherwise, to think that it could be anything else. For, and this is where now we can start to step into forgiveness and compassion and we start to bring closure. Uh, mechanisms, yes. Yes, here we go, mechanisms. So that was the bridge. That was me describing the pain. And I'll, let me tie it up. Well, how am I feeling now? Regardless of what reasons or however much better the doubt you want to give her, is this the behavior that someone who cares about you would display? That question alone, that question alone is what brought me back to sanity every single time. Because you will go insane. You will go insane thinking about all the different ways that you could do something differently. The past is the past now. You have to focus on what will push you forward. But I will not lie. The first two weeks, it's, it's a fight. It's a fight for the first two weeks. But what helped that fight? Why didn't I go insane apart from that questioning? What allowed me to even reach that level of mental clarity? Hey, my friends, it's Adam here. I just had to interrupt. As I'm editing this session, I'm realizing that I didn't put enough of a hammer or spell out the most important closure method, which came through the voice message and the reasoning behind it and the intent behind it, most importantly. I think I just did that subconsciously in the session, kind of just ticked it off or skipped over it. Because if you look at the way that I went about the voice message, that would spell out a lot of the harmony that was within it. But if you're not aware of that, then I can see how that would be a go over your head. So the voice message itself was the most important part of closure to just express how you feel. And I do understand that in a lot of situations, you're not going to get that opportunity. In my situation, it wasn't an absolute freeze out to the degree that I knew that she would probably listen to the voice message. But I've had clients and where they've had intervention orders, restraining orders placed upon them They're not because of the mistakes they made. And they're not even allowed to, not even supposed to be contacting that girl and all avenues are shut off. So this is more applicable to someone who is actually has the ability to contact the person and you have some reasonable certainty that they would listen to the message. So she wasn't willing to come in and actually sit down with me. So the best I could do was send the voice message. But most importantly about sending that voice message and how it brought about closure was the intent for forgiveness that I didn't hold deep seeds of dark, toxic, malintent for her, that I didn't, while it had to be brutal and it had to be sharp to relay to her the consequences of her actions so that she may learn, so that she may learn and grow and become a better person as a result and hopefully not treat someone like that in the future. Also, to let her know that I'm always sending her the love and the light, helping her and helping her to understand that the forgiveness is always there. And what I said before, the door is always open. And so if you can practice forgiveness when you're coming into closure, it just amplifies it by a thousand X, right? If you can, it's not really a closure message if you're still holding on to pain. So however you're going to go about your closure, whether you still have access to seeing that person, you can go to their place, you can sit down. That's obviously optimal. If you can get on a phone call with them or if even less so, have to send a voice message, do it with the intent of that. I'm letting go here. And the only way to do so is by forgiving that person, holding compassion for their humanity and ending it on love with the light in your eyes. You push that forward, then the message that you send, while it should still be very direct, very congruent, very authentic, but it's the empathy point there of wanting them to have a path forward. If you're going to hold a vindictive, vengeful mindset towards that person, then you will never let go and you will never achieve or attain full closure. So forgiveness not only for them, but forgiveness for yourself as well. There should be no regrets. There should be no anguish at your anguish. Like, why did I have to feel this pain? Why did I have to go? To, no, no, let all that go. Come to peace with it. What's done is done now. Let's move forward. 
I just had to spell this out because I don't think in the session that I do, I did it as rigorously as I just did. And so for the rest of this now, you're going to hear, it's going to go return back to the actual original session, talking about good people, good mechanisms, being strong, uh, the habits, the mindsets, et cetera, after this. So thank you for this introduction, uh, interruption. Back to the show. The path. The path. You know what the path is? The path is the journey of self-cultivation. The path is the one in which that you set out a purpose for yourself in life, a one in which that is going to develop yourself as best as you possibly can in order to serve other people, in which that you'd bring about a positive outcome for humanity itself. That is the path. And then on that path, or to even be, while you are on that path simultaneously, not even just that path being an external path, as we talk about internal versus external path, that path internally wraps around a temple, a temple within yourself that is built upon the principles of not only developing what that purpose would be, but your physical, mental, social development transcended by an understanding of your true nature in life. This is your journey. This is your path. This is your temple. And when you have these three things centered on, when you have yourself deeply sitting within these three things and that you're just striving, no matter how terrible you may be in certain areas and no matter how things may be difficult for you, but you just strive every day for supreme excellence on your path, on your journey, within your temple. No matter how much pain you are feeling inside because of the breaking of your heart, the inflammation of your heart that this person has put you through. If you have your path, you have your journey. If you have your temple to focus on, that right there was the mechanism. If you're asking me how I was able to move through the heartbreak so harmoniously, so effectively, like I wasn't, I didn't go, I didn't go to her house. I didn't try and send her any more messages. I didn't try and call her anymore. I didn't break down into a puddle of just sadness or into a puddle of uh, desperation. I never entered desperation mode. I never said to her, I need you. I want you, but I never forsaked any of my principles as a masculine being despite the pain that I was feeling. I never lashed out at her. I never got angry at her. I didn't break into her house and set her room on fire. Any of that shit that you may have heard about in my domestic violence podcast last week. I stayed on my path because I remembered as my mom said, stay focused. You stay focused. She didn't say what to stay focused on. That's up to me. And that's what all you need to do as I'm now directing this, starting with start to direct this podcast towards you guys listening now. If you're dealing with that heartbreak, my number one piece of advice to you is to stay focused on what you're here to do in this life. And all of the measures, hopefully all of the behaviors that you have been cultivating up until this point that got you to where you are now. There was a time before this girl. There was a time before this partner. There will be a time afterwards. Due to the overwhelming nature of what heartbreak is, the overwhelming nature of the pain itself, how inflamed it feels, how it's so all-encompassing, it, it, over, it overrides and hijacks your mental facilities and largely a part of your physical facility as well. That's no excuse to not do the things that made you great. And it is the things that made you great that will continue to make you feeling great. You don't not go out for your walks on the beach. You don't not go to the gym. You don't not go and hit the bag. You don't, not, you, you don't start eating shit food. You don't start listening to depressive music. That was one thing. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of music. A massive fan. I love, I'm very eclectic in my listening genres, like whether it's country music, rap, uh, Japanese rock, Korean K-pop, Korean ballads, to Spanish music, to it just list goes on, anime, OSTs, instrumentals from Hans Zimmer. 
I go all day. Even just regular, I like some regular pop as well, right? Acoustic music particularly. I play music. I play guitar. I've lived my life through music. As uh, Michio Kaku once said, the universe is a symphony of vibrations. The universe is music. Prior to this heartbreak, I have been fascinated with how so much of the best music in this world centers itself and is inspired by heartbreak, inspired by relationships. That's what life is. Life is relationships. So, of course, a lot of it is going to be, there is going to be a lot of sad music or there is going to be a lot of music reflecting on sad things, particularly in Korean ballads. And so it just occurred to me that as I'm dealing with my heartbreak, while as I had listened to a lot of these songs that are just tremendous and that speak on dealing with heartbreak and dealing with sadness and wanting this person back and this was person was the only one and uh, how are you doing years later, etc. I never really connected to the, to the inspiration of those songs because I was not going through heartbreak or a breakup of my own, particularly breakup songs, whether they're in English or not. When you just know what that author, that author, that artiste was going through to be able to create that piece of art. Now everything's taking a different meaning. So I have to change my listening behaviors. When I'm waking up in the morning and or when I'm going out and doing different things and if I'm in the car, I'm not listening to JoJo's Too Little Too Late. That is one of the worst songs you can listen to if you're going through a heartbreak or a breakup of any kind. And no, it's just a little too late. You know that song? If I play it on here, YouTube will strike this video, so I'm not going to. It's a great song, though. It's a great song if you're not going through a breakup. And if you go back to my breakup series, you'll hear me espouse this, which is that don't feed the beast. Don't feed that dark beast. The dark beast wants shit comfort food. And you think it's a good excuse to just go eat McDonald's pizza and ice cream because you're feeling pain inside? No, the only... The response should be, if you're feeling that type of pain inside, emotionally, spiritually, is to go find strength. Don't further deplete yourself into the annals of mediocrity, right? Don't, why would you do anything that would make you feel worse? Now, I know in the short term, the deal is, the bargain is, no, no, I eat the ice cream, I eat the pizza, I listen to the sad, depressive music while I'm feeling sad and depressed and while I'm feeling this pain because it's going to make me feel better in the short term. And that, while that may be true, because you're listening to the artists, like they can relate to me. I'm relating to the song because, yeah, this person fucked me over, or this person deceived me, betrayed me, or this person, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I get it. So that makes you feel good in the moment, in the short term, because, oh, this person gets me. But then also with the, short, with the pizza and the ice cream that hits up and lights up your pleasure centers, the dopamine gets released, and all of a sudden you're getting this influx of calories that you'd never be able to find in the wild and that type of combination. And so that makes you feel good in the short term. But then in the long term, the inflammation caused by shit food, the inflammation, further inflammation caused by music that is only stoking your attachment to that person if you have that attachment, which for most people dealing with heartbreak, they do. But in my particular scenario, I wasn't attached to her because I never owned her and I was very concrete on that. For me, it was just the literal, the literal bedrock of having to conceptualize she is not the person who I thought she was. That was where the, if you really want to try and sum it up, that's where most of the pain was coming from. It's like she was the most lovely girl, a girl I could see creating a life with. And now she's literally been someone, one of the, a human being that has treated me, if not the worst, borderline, borderline with maybe three or four other examples. You know, I don't need all my fingers on my hand to count of human beings that have treated me poorly at, at the top levels. She's, she entered that, 
that those rankings. How can you go from being one of the best human beings in your life to and have one of the human beings that has treated you some of the best in your life to a human being that has treated you now the worst? Like that right there is what caused the heartbreak and the heart pain. So you find strength though. So for those of you listening to how to heal from heartbreak, find the things that make you strong. Get your ass in the gym. Get your ass out in nature. Get your ass listening to uplifting. Here's a song perfectly for you. If you're dealing with heartbreak right now, keep on moving by five. Keep on moving by five. That song, while I heard that song, it's from early 2000s, I believe, or even late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, That song came to me at the perfect time in my life. Well, I'd of course heard it before. It came to me at the perfect time in my life in which that when my father passed away, that song got suggested to me on Spotify. I'm indebted to Spotify for that. That song is one of the most uplifting songs in the entire world. Keep on moving by five. Keep on moving. And so not only did it serve me in processing my father and just working through all that, but particularly with her. I would listen to that song every single day because when you compare the two songs of JoJo's Too Little Too Late, which is just so, it's so sad. It's so sad if you're going through heartbreak. But then Keep On Moving by Five is so uplifting. It's so strong. It just reminds you that if the sun's shining, it's telling you it's it's telling you that there's meaning, right? There's meaning in your life that the sun is shining and telling you that to not let things get in the way, which is part of the lyrics. This is what I'm talking about, the mechanisms, what you feed yourself, what beast you're going to feed as you're going through this heartbreak. Please, please do things that make you strong. That is how you're going to move through this process. Now, as to, I know a lot of you, and I inevitably get a lot of these questions coming back as to what to do with social media, what to do with her presence and your connectivity to her presence within social media, since we're all very digital beings, we're basically cyborgs at this point. Basically, everyone lives through their device now. I've said this to my clients because I once had a client who was dealing with a uh, tremendous breakup who asked me recently, actually, who asked me about this. Do I delete her off social media? Do I block her? What do I do? And I always say to him, trust in yourself. Trust in your abilities. Test your abilities. Test your capacities to see how strong you can be. And in the event that you are too weak to not fall prey to attachment behaviors, of checking her profile for every latest post to going through her profile to look at the the good times if there are photos of you, if there are not, just who she was, who she was in your life. Watching her particularly on uh, Instagram, watching someone's story in which that they update you on their current life. If you are strong enough to be able to operate within the social digital realm without falling prey to an attachment-based neediness behavior, a longing behavior, a seeking for what once was behavior, then you're fine. If you can if you can operate as is. But if you find yourself doing any of what I just said, then removing the temptation, removing the line and the hook for which that fish could be caught, just take the line out of the water for fuck's sake. You know, just AKA, yeah. If if not going to the extent of having to completely shut down your social media, if it's that bad, but yeah, just you can mute people without unfollowing them. Almost every single social media 
uh, platform has this. You can just go on their profile, mute their posts, mute their stories, so it's never going to pop up, which means you have to physically go and to their profile to search for them to go find their content, which is an indicator of itself that you're not strong enough. But so for me personally, that's just general principles. But for me personally, I've no, I haven't. I didn't need to do that. I think I'm quite well developed at this point. Probably helps that I'm a '90s baby as well. That I had a meaningful period of life without social media. That because I don't live on social media in general. I only use it like two days a week anyway, Friday and Saturdays. Shout out to all my audience on Instagram. I love you guys. I have a good family going over there on Team Human. Uh, was a so for me with Sarah. I didn't block her. I, I didn't. I didn't have to do, go to any excessive measures. I'm sure she's still posting things. I don't know what she's posting. I haven't been to see. I haven't watched her story. haven't looked at her profile. And that's because largely I know. I know the core principles of healing here, which is that this has to be a self-focused, self-centered in the best of ways. Uh, reconnecting back to your center in life. Reconnecting back to the innate nature. Reconnecting back to the innate truth which you find exists within you, which is always going to be love, peace, and joy which is going to be the strength, the strength of which that countless ancestors have given their lives to live the best life that they could to get their genes into the next generation so that you could exist now across thousands, hundreds of thousands. You want to go back to, if not the conception of the universe, that stars had to explode. Stars had to explode releasing carbon that would one day make us, that would one day make biological beings. Do you even fathom what that is? Do you even understand that apart from the sun, literally the sun, which takes roughly six to 700 days is the estimate for us based on our current technology. It takes us about two years and a bit for us to get to the sun. But for us to get to the next star, which is within the conglomeration of Alpha Centauri, and I believe it's Alpha Proximi, Proxima, which is the closest star other than our sun, would take 70,000 years for us based on our current technology in 2022 to reach from Earth. 70,000 years to get to the nearest star and that was one of those stars that had exploded at some point which gave life to, to, bio, to biological life here on this planet. You just... It's the insanity, the insanity of what life is, the rarity of what life is. This is the innate nature of strength that resides within all of us from the caveman from the caveman that we all originated from that drove his spear into the first saber-toothed tiger in order to be able to feed his family that guy was a winner that guy was successful and every other lineage past that point was successful you just that's what is so inspirational about being a human being is that we are the product of success whether you are one of the sri lankans right now who has literally as of two to three days ago tossed out the president. He literally went into the president's house and is sleeping in his bed. <laughs> I want to get onto the economics of things, economics of things. I don't want to get into the politics of things. But you got to think about that. You got to think about that we're not living in the 1500s. We're not living in the 1800s. This is 2022 and a major country's president's house was just stormed by the people. And people are just sitting in his bed. In his pool. Why did I bring up the Sri Lankans? Oh, that's right. Because if you're in such a place of desperation, you've got to imagine the level of desperation you've got to be in 
that you have to have, you have to line up. If you're a bus driver in Sri Lanka, you work for one day and then five other days you line up to get a bag of rice. For you to be in such a level of desperation that you cannot eat, you cannot feed your family. Externally, ostensibly, your life is at the worst it possibly could be. Yet, you are still the product of immense success. Immense success. And that even those people are still choosing to find strength. They may say to you, if I was to hit the streets of Sri Lanka right now, Adam, we have no choice. We have no choice. We must fight. We must fight because we will die if we don't fight. That's success. That's strength. And that is the strength that you must find within yourself and that you will return back to yourself when you are faced with such incredible traumas of life, when heartbreak takes hold, when pain of your heart takes hold. Do not look at the weakness and say yes. Do not look at the pizza, the ice cream, the rom-coms or the uh, all, all of those, the 51st dates or whatever those movies may be. The notebook, don't look at the notebook and don't look at, don't look at letters that she has sent you, you know, the, the, of when she was actually the person you thought she was. I've still got those letters that I keep asking myself, when am I going to burn those letters? And it's like, for me, I, I don't feel like I need to burn them because I don't hold any pain towards her. I haven't gone back to look at them though, which is the point, which is that don't choose weakness. Don't choose things that will make you weak take solace in the strength that has led to you being in existence right now and continue to perpetuate that in whatever way that you can. You don't have to become some superstar of the NBA or some incredible politician or some uh, business mogul who can just, just whipping dollars all over the street. You can just be a good human being. You can just be a meaningful human being. And what is a meaningful human being? Someone who helps someone else and doesn't cause pain to anyone else. You help someone and you don't cause them pain. That's a meaningful life. And I am just paraphrasing the wisdom that come from the 14th Dalai Lama. Mr. Dalai Lama once passed that down. A meaningful life. Help someone, don't hurt someone. That's a meaningful life. I need to discuss a nugget. <laughs> can't come out right, can it? I need to discuss another mechanism which was instrumental in my healing process, which is those who are around you. The company that you keep. I would not have had such an incredible process of healing if not for my family. My brother, my mother were instrumental in conversation with me and just them being them. If it wasn't direct things they said to me, like my mom said, stay focused. If it wasn't my brother just checking in just to say, hey, how's everything? You know, how's everything going? Even though that might seem a little uh, painful at the time because it's like, ah, oh, you know, because obviously things aren't going well. But just the fact that someone cares to ask when clearly that girl doesn't care about you, that, that all helps. It all helps when you've got good people around you. It really helps when you have a brother in a friend, in a best friend, shout out to you, Makadu-san, when Mike will sit on a three to four hour phone call with you when he's working FIFO fly and fly out at Olympic Dam and he's over on Mars effectively, but he will sit down and he has to go to bed at 9 p.m. as I normally do as well because he works 12 hour days. He's got to get up early. and But he will sit down and push his bedtime to any time to just talk with you. 
one of the most instrumental, other than my family, one of the most instrumental conversations I had that was the he- was just such healing for me was having a three to four hour conversation with my best one of my best mates, Mike. That wasn't purely just about with Sarah. We talked about a couple other things as well, but a good part of it was me describing everything I've described in this podcast about the events of things and my trying to understand it and largely asking him, most importantly asking him for his feedback, his reflections on things to make sure I'm not going insane. That's always my impetus, which is I just want to make sure I'm not going insane. But of course, a a good friend, a good person does much more than that. They don't just confirm that you're not going insane. They also offer their own viewpoint. They also offer potential things that maybe you had not seen, things that ways of perceiving things, just a different outlook based on their experiences in life, right? They offer a, another voice in this conversation here in which that you are going insane almost by the deafening voice of your own within your own mind. So to have someone like Mike, who I could, who is willing to go into 1am with me to just allow me to just express myself and for him to reflect back all of that and to find at the end of it, That actually, I'm not going insane. That actually, her behavior was of the literal definition insane. Even someone else could could, could confirm for me that, no, Adam, this person really, for whatever the reason may be, is showing you that she just doesn't care about you and very clearly. And that's all you need to hear. That's all you need to hear. You don't need to hear some deep philosophy. Just that, no, man. From what you told me, you're doing the best you can. You've done the best you can. It's on her now. Right? It's just that alone. That's healing. It's so healing. And I've thanked him gratuitously. I thanked him just again and again and again for that conversation particularly, which was, I think, that conversation happened about a week after I sent the voice message. I believe. It could have been a little bit sooner, but I believe it was about that much time. Having good people around you. If not, that you can directly engage the healing process with. And by the way, I just want to be really careful to mention here. When you do engage other people to help you in your healing process, it should not be so that you can slander the other person in question. It's not so that you can disparage them. It's not so that you can try and win favor and feel like someone's on your side. Because again, that comes down to the breakdown. Is that strength or is that weakness? Is that, is that type of mindset going to lead you to becoming a stronger, more integral person or a weaker, more deficient person? It's rhetorical. Of course, when I was speaking to Mike, I was doing everything I could to give her the benefit of the doubt. I was doing everything I could to reinforce that I still believe the three months that we spent together, she did show me the best of a human being. She, she was one of the best human beings I, ever, I did ever meet and I still hold love for her now. Good people. Find good people. This is, you know, I'm speaking to you guys as a near 29-year-old. This is the value of relationships in your life. The value of relationships is not when things are good. The value of relationships is when things go terribly, terribly wrong. When someone deceives, betrays you, when someone causes you to question your value as a human being, yourself. When events in life, when the economy breaks down to the point in which that an entire country overthrows the president, when... Inflation hits such point in which that general, even in first world countries, people are struggling to fill up their cars to buy food, feed their children. 
when everything else seems to be melting down around you, that is when having relationships, good people around you counts the most. And when it comes to healing, that's when you need that's when you need to not be an island. Or if you are going to be an island, that's when you need to make sure that people had a pass. That's when you need to make sure that people had a clear, direct flight in to your island. Because what I'm trying to point towards there is that actually, generally speaking, I'm a pretty much, I'm a very much a lone wolf type of guy. And I have been most of my life. I'm just a bit of an outlier in, in regards to society in general. I don't subscribe to mainstream society beliefs or perspectives in a large way in, in many, many different areas and arenas. You know, from nutrition, you know, I've been on a carnivore slash animal based diet for a very long time. You know, the way that I train, the way that I move, the, the just my views around relationships, you know, everything, politics, everything. I'm always, I'm just a bit of a different guy. So, uh, lone wolfness and being an island, you know, I actually like that. But I, I don't, I like that in certain areas, but I would never forsake the company on that island when it's needed. And I'm reg, I am very, what I should try to say here to make the analogy work is that while I love to be on my own island, I've got a jet ski. I've got a helicopter. I regularly make trips off of that island to go to other people's and make sure that other people know that they can always visit my island as well. You know, there's very few barriers around my island. The only barriers I erect around my island is around negative energy, is around people that clearly have a taking mentality. You know, that's that's a really good summary as well, just as a principle for you guys in life, which is a really good way to evaluate whether this person should be in your life or not, is do they give you energy or do they take it? Do they take energy from you or do they give it to you? That right there is a rule in general that can pretty much sum up whether this person should be in your life or not. And when I look at now, Sarah, she took immense levels of energy from me in the heartbreak stage. Not only did she take immense levels of energy of me in the golden stage when things were great, but it was reciprocated. So it's okay for someone to take a lot of energy from you if they're also going to give it to you as well. You know, if there's a mutual reciprocal exchange of energy, that's fantastic. That's when you're really going to find really the best of each other. But when it's so one-sided, when someone is just putting you through so much pain, taking that energy away from you, that clearly that person should not be in your life. There is a philosophy and a mentality that if you have not heard it before, that is something I have right or died with since the beginning of this podcast, which is that this too shall pass. Anyone who's dealing with immense pain right now, your heart is broken. This too shall pass. You were good the day before you met this person. You will be good the day after them. There is a large part of the tattoo on the inside of my left forearm that is a representation of rainbows, which is a representation of this philosophy that this too shall pass. And that is what the rainbows on my wrist represent my forearm. When you think about what a rainbow is, what has to take place for a rainbow to exist? There had to be a storm. There had to be a storm. There had to be rain. There had to be thunder. There had to be darkness, dark clouds, dark skies. Only for it all to come to a cease. All for it all to clear eventually. At some point, those clouds had to pass in which that the sun was able to shine through. 
creating this brilliance of light spectrum in which that what we call a rainbow appears. Fleeting though, isn't it? As if the rainbow itself is only a bridge to light, to a clear sky. Because a rainbow itself does not last forever. It is in that transitionary period from a storm ending to a new day and a new light beginning in which that a rainbow births itself. Reminding you that this too shall pass. So whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever pain that you're dealing with right now, it is a bridge. It is a bridge to your growth, to your evolution as a human being. It provides lessons. Lessons from if you had not made mistakes, lessons from mistakes in maybe who you allowed into your life, how you allowed them to treat you. See your heartbreak as a bridge, a bridge to who you can become. And most importantly, as always, how you could serve, how you could serve other people in this life, in a life of such rarity. I'll end the podcast with this on the concept of love. Asking myself just this morning in preparation for today, are you still in love with her? No. And even just that admission right there with such clarity puts me at peace. Do I love her? Yes. And I always will. I have love for every being in this life, but particularly those that manage to work their way into my heart and show me a different level of existence. There's a special place within my heart reserved for those people, men and women, but specifically speaking on women sexually polarized relationships. For the girls that I have been in love with that I also loved, I still love them to the same degree that I do today. For my 13-year-old girlfriend, 16-year-old girlfriend, 22-year-old girlfriend, these are talk about exclusive relationships. I still take a bullet for those girls today. I still love those girls to this day, even if we haven't talked in years. And when I think about Sarah, it doesn't matter to what degree, to what pain she put me through. I'll never subscribe to a victim-level mindset. It's always love. I want the best for her. I want her to live a good life. I want her to meet someone that she can rectify the mistakes that she made with me. I want her to meet someone that was willing to treat her the way that I treated her. That was willing to lay there for hours and listen to her pain, listen to her stories was willing to move past societal stigma to just see the beautiful girl in front of them. I want her to overcome whatever it was that was going on in her life that led her to freezing me out, pulling away, 
And from me to you, Sarah, I know you still have that letter if you haven't already thrown it away or burnt it, but I know you read it many times where I said, and if we weren't meant to be together in this life, then I'll find you in the next, and together we will fly. I feel chills running up and down my spine, on my skin. I smile. My heart pumps. Because it couldn't be any truer to this day. There was something I saw within you. There was a way that you made me feel. The way that you saw me. That even though things just... The way things ended... Not that they ever had to end that way. I surely gave you every opportunity for it to not. But you st- you chose the volcano and things ended with a volcano. Okay. But despite that, it doesn't diminish the love that I had for you. And as I say to every human being who's ever ostensibly wronged me or caused me tremendous pain, there will always be a door back. Of course, there's a high level of proof of burden on that person to gain entry to that door. As I always say to you people, I say to all of you, you know, we always forgive, but we never forget. Compassion, always. Compassion for uh, for humanity with the humility to know as well that we will not allow mistakes to repeat. Then it's foolish upon us to allow so. So you would never allow someone back into that door without a certain level of test without a certain amount of time and demonstration that someone had learned from their mistakes. But we never locked the door on anyone. I never locked the door on anyone. I never turned the light out on anyone. Even for guys, I'm talking about guy examples now, guys that just treated me like shit. They just, I don't want to get into examples now because it's not a part of this podcast, but guys that just, they, for, for years upon years, allowed some event to go slip under the rug and that only years later they had their own evolution come back and say adam i'm really sorry about the way i treated you all that time ago can we restart i say yeah we can restart but let's start at step one and it's through starting back at step one giving people that chance to start back at step one honestly earnestly and then you see how they go through step two three four five all the way up to ten etc and you see how they behave and you put that test through again you don't you don't allow that door to swing wide open immediately, but you just every now and again you don't let them. You don't allow them to spend hours, days, months back on your island. You just give them a little five minute test. You see how they go. You know what I'm talking about is that to hold on to a vindictive, vengeful, spiteful, toxic view of human beings. You know she she hurt she hurt me. She caused me pain, and so I'm always gonna see her in a light of in a way of darkness. Say, no, it's not a way to be. Why? Because you've forsaken yourself. The moment you forsake someone else, you forsake yourself. The moment you rule light out for someone else, you rule light out for yourself. It does not excuse people's darkness. It does not excuse the pain they inflict. But it does not also excuse you shutting out your own light. We have ways. We have ways to be able to reintegrate someone back into light to show and to demonstrate that they had removed the darkness. But that largely remains a predication on whether you still have light within you. 
And that is exactly where I'll end this podcast. I hope that as you've listened to this, you have found light within yourself. That if you are going through heartbreak, you know that it too shall pass. That you will find strength in strength. You seek Through seeking strength, you will find strength. That there is a path for you that is centered on your purpose. There are so many amazing human beings in this world. Let's not get attached to anyone. Let's not claim ownership on any one human being. Let's only claim ownership on the rarity of life itself, the beauty of existence as a human being itself in which that you could communicate love, peace, and joy. And of course, I extend all that to you. Thank you. That brings me to my thanks for all of you. Thank you, first off, for just being here, your presence. But please let me know. Let me know in a comment down below where you are in your lives, how you felt about this, any commentary. I'll do my best to get back as soon as I possibly can. And also, if you did enjoy the content, please hit the thumbs up on the YouTube video. It just helps it get sent out to more people in the community. And if you feel like this would resonate with someone else, please share it to some of your close friends. If you would like to dive into one-on-one coaching, it's all available on boldojo.com. Guided meditation, free resources of wisdom, free weekly on my newsletter, Bold Sip. Just chuck your email in, comes out every Friday. That's all available, all the links down below. And if you would like to support the podcast directly, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link down below or on the website, boldojo.com in the podcast section. Anything that you guys give is always super appreciated. So thank you very much. Wishing you all the love, peace, and joy in this life.